millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst the other Cultaholic lads are still suffering from indigestion from too many Easter eggs. We are suffering the indigestion that comes from watching World Wrestling Federation television in the early 90s. And we do that via our Ica Pro Power DeLorean every week as we chronologically critique. Thank you, OSW Review. Monday Night Raw from its very beginning. And who be we? I be Fake Geordie. Radio presenter, manager to Mickey the Dragon, Tom Campbell. I be with the bear in the big blue bar cage. The man that raised Titan. The man who does not need a pencil. Despite the fact he is head pencil, he needs a pen because he gets it right every time. It's Justin Henry from out of off of the America. Hello, sir. And happy Easter. Happy Easter to you as well, Tommy. We record this on Bank Holiday, well, in the UK, Bank Holiday Monday, which is Easter Monday. So we're at the tail end of a four-day weekend. Are you as fortunate to get a four-day weekend there? Um, I think a lot of people do have Mondays off. I know the, at least in my school district, kids are off all week. That's how it was when I was in school. So they're not going back till the following Monday. And has your Easter been full of joy? Uh, pretty much. I've had my share of jelly beans and uh, Cadbury cream eggs, which are the greatest candy in the world. They're they're amazing, aren't they? But you can only really eat one or two a year because otherwise your your feet start tingling with diabetes. Well, nobody told me that. It's true. <laughs> but the big question is, though, did you fall in a hedge on Good Friday? Because if you didn't, then your weekend's been rubbish. <laughs> did I do? Did I do what now? Did you fall in a hedge? <laughs> I literally have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know? You know what a hedge is, right? Yes, we have them in America. They're not indigenous to England. I was going to say, so you didn't <laughs> fall into one of them on Good Friday. Is this some sort of arcane tradition that I've... <laughs> Been, never well, been I, made a privy to. I made it one on Good Friday. Um, it's a uh, new okay. tradition that I'm starting on a Good Friday, where you have five pints, maybe more, of real ale in the sunshine, and on the way back to your hotel, you fall headfirst into a stinging nettle hedge. Okay, uh, so it was a spontaneous tradition that just 
started in 2019. Exactly. And I'm, and I'm hoping it's one I get to repeat every year because there's nothing quite like waking up on the Saturday after with basically your hand looking like, as you rightly said on Twitter, Justin, I've suddenly developed stigmata. <laughs> John, I don't want to Photoshop. I just want you to. Obt- I just want you to obtain the surveillance footage of this by whatever means. I'm, I'm sure some closed circuit camera has gotten a hold of Tommy as he's described here, falling into a hedge and developing stigmata. Do you know what? If you could, if you could find the footage, it'd be great because I'd like to know where I fell, how I fell, and <laughs> if if by any chance one of my shoes is still in that hedge because. <laughs> <laughs> the one did go able. Tom Campbell in Memento. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah, it feels a bit like I was in Memento. You know it's well, been a good night to... when you look on your phone and you go, I don't remember taking those photos. What you need is a Polaroid of one solitary shoe. <laughs> John, can you do that? Can you make Memento poster? <laughs> Can you do the, the, that photo of the guy holding the Polaroid, except put Tom's face on his, and put a, a solitary shoe in the Polaroid photo? So did you do Tom anything? Mento. Did you? That's John. On that, please. Thank you. Did you do anything special over the last couple of days, though, sir? I just had dinner with the family uh, on Sunday, which, as per Easter tradition, I did a lot of writing, which is now normal for, which is par for the course. I did see Rift Tracks live on Thursday night. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. I'm not familiar. No, do explain. Uh, you've heard of Mystery Science Theater 3000, correct? I have indeed, yes. Okay, three of the guys who used to be on that show, uh, Mike Nelson, Kevin Murphy, who was the voice of Tom Servo, and uh, Bill Corbett, who I believe was the second person to play Crow T. Robot, started their own company called Rift Tracks, which, which they basically do what we do with pay-per-views, and that's record a commentary track for, in their case, bad movies that you can download and play along with a DVD or Netflix or whatever. So it's Mystery Science Theater, just not Mystery Science Theater. And a few times a year they do live shows where they uh, riff on a bad movie in this theater in Nashville, and it gets broadcast out to different movie theaters. So you go to one of the theaters and you watch them do a live riff on a movie. Oh, that's cool. really is, and they did Octoman, which is a... A very, very, very trite uh, Mexican horror film from the 70s that, let's just say it would have been an MST3K uh, typical fodder if it, if it hadn't been in its day. Oh, that's cool. So, so you went to watch that, like, as live from the cinema? Uh, yeah, you just go to, as if you're going to see, like, you know, Endgame or whatever, you just go to the movies and... They're there on the screen riffing on this horrible movie that I spent spent fifteen bucks to watch. It's, it's actually a lot of fun. They've done some. Uh, they've done the room over the years. They've done uh, Night of the Living Dead. They've done some more contemporary stuff. But a lot of it is just your usual mystery science theater, um, rogues gallery movies. That sounds like a fun evening. But we are not here to riff on bad movies. We're here to riff on bizarre old wrestling. Yes, we're not here to have fun. <laughs> but where and when are we this week, Justin Henry? We are live. It is Monday, November 8th, 1993. And we can cross off a third state from the list. We are not in New York. We are not in Connecticut. We are in Bushkill, Pennsylvania at the <laughs> Fernwood Resort. 
some absolute glamour locations uh, now, for Tom, WWF at this time. Tom, you being a fake Geordie across the pond there. He is. If I were to say Pennsylvania, what cities might come to mind for you? Philadelphia, initially. That's, okay, that that's the obvious one. Um, Pennsylvania. <laughs> literally, just literally off the top of my head, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania springs to mind. How about Kurt Angle's hometown? The, the old capital, Harrisburg. Harrisburg's, Harrisburg's the capital. How about Kurt Angle's hometown? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. So those three are pretty uh, common. You can say Scranton, PA, which is the location of um, the office, or well, the, the American version of the office. Allentown, where the Nasty Boys are from. Uh, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, which has had some raw tapings before. Um, it's a name that Adam can't say incorrectly. Adam can't say correctly. So they all come to mind. Obviously, York in Pennsylvania. Is yeah, yes, York, PA. They're, That's amazing. No, I live, basically, I'm about two hours away from York, UK. Uh, that's that's nice to know. There's a York, Pennsylvania as well. Hershey, Pennsylvania. Where they the make the chocolate. Chocolates. Yes, I, I've been to the theme park. It's a great place. So all that comes to mind. Not Bushkill. Oh, there's a Manchester. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking at Pennsylvania now. <laughs> Even Manchester. I Manchester, PA. I was in Manchester, New Hampshire, but Pennsylvania, I'm a little bit of a, unfamiliar with that one. No, uh, yeah, so all those are places are certainly not not Bushkill. I couldn't tell you what Bushkill's famous for, other than having the Fernwood Resort. It's not the world-famous Fernwood Resort, as far as I know. What else is it famous for? Um, I said I couldn't tell you what it's famous oh, for. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me. <laughs> I thought you were going to go, well, it's called this because. I oh, wonder why Shrewsbury, it's called. Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania. Sorry, I'm going to get off this map of Pennsylvania now because I keep seeing places that I know and or have lived in. Yes, Tom's cartography hour. Yeah, we'll have to wait another day. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the next podcast I'm working on. But speaking of Pennsylvania, I do have to bring this story up. I told you this off the air last week. Uh, the night after this raw taping in in Carbondale, Pennsylvania, which is a town possibly even more obscure than Bushkill, <laughs> they had their superstars taping, I'm sorry, a wrestling challenge taping at the high school in Carbondale, which is how you know they were in banner times, taping from a high school. Yeah, it's tough times. <laughs> so at, the, at, the, at this event here, they... Um, I came across this little note. I, I assume this, I assume this made it to the Wrestling Observer at some point. Mm. At the Carbondale, Pennsylvania high school tapings, this says in italics, and I quote: "It was later reported that the principal and school board were upset in the condition the school was left in after the taping, including whiskey bottles in the cafeteria, <laughs> human feces on the locker room floor." Oh God. And a broken door. <laughs> I like how it's ranked as whiskey bottles in the canteen, feces on the locker room, oh, and the door was broke. <laughs> like, it was like, you can leave alcohol everywhere, you can do your business where you like, but if you break a door, we are in trouble. 
Peter Weeks struck again. <laughs> Was he at the tapings, do we know? No, but he's... As far as I know, no, but maybe he's gone for all 50 states. Old, old, old IBS Peter Weeks. <laughs> First we... New York, now Pennsylvania. Next week, <laughs> Iowa. Weeks <laughs> stomach. <laughs> the, the part that gets me here is that was taped on a Tuesday, which means that as kids are getting out for the day, maybe around 3 o'clock, 3.30, they're already setting the ring up in the high school gymnasium or whatever. So you know, here's, here's kids leaving art class or they're leaving their homerooms or whatever. They're going to their lockers. <laughs> and here's, you know, wrestlers just hanging out back, having a smoke. Maybe they're drinking their whiskey, setting the ring up. It's like not exactly the highest class TV taping. No, no. I, I think that we need to open this discussion up again on weirdest places you've been to watch wrestling. What's your weirdest again? My weirdest? I can't remember what I said now because there's been a couple of odd ones. There was um, the Art Theatre in Shrewsbury, which was uh, a very posh venue, which was which was mm. uh, attended by grown men pretending to hit each other every so often. Um, there's Rise in Leeds, which used to operate at a venue called Sheaf Street. And basically, it's just a garage at the back room of Sheaf Street. And it's, it's just it's just like a, like a big garage that they just hoy a ring in the middle of and everybody just piles in. That's one of the more peculiar as well. Okay. Um, I've seen some in uh, converted uh, warehouse spaces, like converted office spaces that are part of like strip malls. Like you know, you ha- oh, like you have your uh, machine shop, and next door is the re- is the wrestling venue where you could fit maybe forty fans. But uh, I'll answer this question in more detail after June twenty second when I watch the CZW Tournament of Death in the parking lot of an athletic center. Are you going to that? I'm I'm going to watch Session Moth Martina wrestle in the state of New Jersey. Wow! Oh, mate, I need, I need you, I need you, need you to get pictures with Session Moth Martina and uh, Rise's very own Big Effin Joe, who has been confirmed for the Tournament of Death. And honest to God, it, when I saw him, he was announced for the Tournament of the Death. It was like watching somebody you love win a blood splattered <laughs> Grammy. I was so happy for him because no one deserves to be in that appalling tournament more than Big Joe. Like he will fit in like he will fit like a glove in that tournament. Whoa, 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 whoa. Appalling tournament? In the best possible way. I don't mean okay, it in a derogatory way. I think it's an incredible tournament. But it's appalling in the terms of just how violent it gets. Because I'll have you know that a man who had a WWE network special dedicated to him on Sunday night competed in the two thousand nine tournament. John Moxley? The John Moxley. And I've sat in a Premier Inn and drank with a former contestant, former winner, Jimmy Havoc. I've interviewed Jimmy Havoc. <laughs> he is lovely. He tried to intimidate me. <laughs> oh, he does that to everybody. It was all good, it was all good fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's a badge of honour. If he tries to intimidate you, then that means he likes you. Honestly, he's he's an absolute <laughs> he's an absolute dream. I love him. And he's another guy that I'm really happy to see getting good things happen to him. Oh, yes, I was stone-faced wondering, oh, did I just blow this assignment? That, have I explained this to Brian Elliott that oh, there's not going to be an article this month? And Jimmy's like, oh, I'm just effing with you there, mate. <laughs> that does sound like Jimmy. <laughs> Love him. Love you, Jimmy. 
Yeah, Jimmy's a sweet boy. Oh, brilliant. Well, there we go. Okay, we'll, we'll, I'm excited for um, for tour- death tournament shenanigans in a few months' time. So, but we go to the opposite of sweet boy, which would be, as Vince would say, Ludwig Borg. Oh, yeah, he threw out his vocal cords immediately at the start of this week's show. It was very Philly and Selma-ish. He was proper, like, proper from the guttural back of his throat. Ludwig Borga! I want to say effing hostile, but I want to say the word, yeah. Imagine if if you're watching TV, and and some people do watch TV where it's just kind of on in the background, and maybe you're just sort of falling asleep, and you've been watching a uh, silk stockings that was probably on before it. And, uh, and you, just as you're drifting off, you're suddenly woken up as you just hear Ludwig Borger coming out of your TV. <laughs> Buy me Bone Stormer, go to hell. Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because you mentioned Silk Stockings, which Vince has plugged many times on USA to this point, but the actual lead-in for Raw at this point, I don't know if you've heard of this show over in your land, was a show called Murder She Wrote. Oh, I'm very familiar with Murder She Wrote. What a Is wonderful it, that, TV that the, show. Apparently, that was a point of contention for years in WWE because you know here's a show that middle-aged women tend to watch as a target demographic, not to take anything away from Angela Lansbury. But it wasn't the best lead-in for a show that was filled with testosterone and guys beating each other up. So... In later years, they finally got this show pulled from the 8 o'clock slot and replaced with Walker, Texas Ranger, which makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, it's a bit more, um, bit, bit more testosterone-y, if you will. Yes, yes testosterone the San Francisco treat. <laughs> yep. I love me a bowl of testosterone <laughs> That's Icopro, isn't it, basically? Yes, te- It's basically, yes, it, it, if Icopro was a pasta, it'd be testosterone <laughs> Yes. John! It's it's egg noodles in the shape of biceps. John! Get on that. <laughs> I, need add more vein. I need to add more veins to that. <laughs> you know the brief. Crack on. Love you, John. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Ludwig Borger. It's been Channel's Fear Factory. He says, Borger looks to add another casualty to his list. That implies that Tatanka is dead. Yeah, they were very much of the mindset that Tatonka has been brutally, either brutally, near fatally injured or dead throughout this I mean, show. He did, I mean, he did have his ribcage crushed by Yokozuna, but as far as I know, he's not actually dead. Otherwise, you know, Robbie dedicated to his memory and everyone would have to be telling stories about him on this week's show. <laughs> but instead, a, a cold start with the screen saying, in memory of Chris Chavez. <laughs> You have Bobby Heenan out of character. Well, I made a lot of jokes about the guy, but the real truth is there was no joke about how much he loved children. And Chris Chavez is... Nah. But anyway. <laughs> so it, so this week it's Borger versus Scott Steiner in what you and I have both agreed is a dream match. And we get this shadowy promo from Borger where like, you see half his face and the other half is shrouded in darkness. And it's actually quite creepy. Like It just, it, it just adds another layer of menace to him. But then it's undone when Borger looks off camera. You already know where I'm going with this. Scott Steiner's face fades in. And I'm waiting for the big pop-a-pop version of Rocket Man. 
<laughs> it was. I tell you what else it reminded me of when this was happening, and they were fading in and out with those with their faces. Did it not remind you a little bit of the music video to Super Trooper by ABBA? <laughs> or, or, or what it could have been was um, when they do the word games on on Electric Company. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Which one? The Award Games on Electric Company, that old 1970s show. I don't remember that one. I wish I did. But you have like two shadowy faces, and you, have, like, you show their lips, and, and one says half a word, the other half says the other half of the word, and, oh! and together they say the full word. You know what I mean? Man. Yes, because they parodied this on Family Guy, didn't they? Burr, Ed, <laughs> Bet. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> I go pro. <laughs> I go pro. I thought from this, away from how naff this looked, like the, the black screen, the fade in, the fade out, like they were going to kiss or sing Glory of Love by Chicago. I thought, my big thought in this was, God damn it, Scott Steiner would have made a much better American main eventer than Lex Luger. Well, yeah. And the promos would have been hilarious had he, had he been in big Papa Pump mode. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it would have been peak when he was going crazy as big Papa Pump. But even at this point, with his Dave Meltzer face and his floppy hair, I do think Scott Steiner would have feasibly been like a brilliant championship contender. <laughs> you have Yokozuna injure Rick Steiner. And then you, when the helicopter comes down on the USS Intrepid, it's Scott that gets out seeking vengeance for his brother and just drop Joko on his head. <laughs> Picture the Lex Express pulling up, he gets out with all the freaks. That'd be brilliant. I just, and also I think I think he'd own it more than Luger did. Luger all the while looked like it was the he was having the worst time. But I would get from Scott Steiner that he would be he would embody that all American spirit so well. And I would just sat there fantasy booking Scott Steiner as I'll be your hero. He calls Yoko's in a sloppy Yoko. <laughs> He's fat. He's fat. He's fat. I'll make him. This fat summer bitch. You see that? That's a vein. <laughs> it's a vein in my arm. <laughs> you ain't got any because you're fat. That'd have been great. You're just laying unconscious at the intrepid Scott's on his pogo stick now. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and book that in the our proper DeLorean. I love it. So we got Borger, Borger and Steiner is our. Big match of the night. Before we get to that, we have our you know commentaries at ringside introduction. Vince assures us that we are nestled in the beautiful Pocono Mountains. Okay, that kind of uh, put on the map where the hell Bushkill is a little bit better. This is Vince McMahon, as always, really trying to sell not so much the place, but the the area they're in. It's the whole heartland of America thing again, isn't it? It is, and... To his credit, at least the Poconos are a tourist destination. When it's snowing, when it's winter time, the skiers go there. Vince so the McMahon Poconos would are kind make of a, bit... a great estate agent as well, and a great travel agent. Just telling you the greatness of the place around, and not how bad the place <laughs> you're staying in actually is. 
<laughs> Here we are at Penn State University. Okay, what's the city called? Penn State University. <laughs> just, just say State College. Say on fire. So hey, Savage is back this week, and his tongue sounds good. He sounds perfectly good, doesn't he? It's not like he's on a phone biting his tongue whilst he's talking. Yeah, Savage sounds better this week. He's not. His tongue is now healed. He was away for three weeks, so it's kind of a big deal that he's back. But instead of selling the fact that hey, Randy Savage is back, we have to we have to be topical. And here's Bobby Heenan wearing a modified parachute, calling attention to what we discussed last week: the fan man incident during the Riddick Bowe Evander Holyfield fight, where the jackass flew in using the parachute fan harness thing. And, and disrupted the fight halfway through, two days after, so it's still fresh. And me, meanwhile, here's Savage in his purple shirt and his red and green hat looking like a bag of Skittles. <laughs> he should be the focal point here. Savage like, oh, hell's gonna break loose when Crush gets here, and he means it. Yeah, he was really, he was ready to go all night long. He was ready to, to, to batter Crush as soon as he turned up. I love this. Savage I love not... the Savage fire all night. He did not break character once. There was no deferring to whatever was going on. He, he may have made reference to some things as as he progressed through the evening, but his, his eyes were locked on Crush. And when Crush got there, he was going to kill him. But we have one more piece of business to get to before we get to Borges Steiner. Yeah, this is, this is quite a bit of business as well. We are still trying to get Lex Luger over as the top guy. How, you may ask? Next week on Raw, Quebecer Pierre, the man who is not human, PCO, the French Frankenstein, will, is going to go one-on-one -on -one with, well, we don't know yet. Because there's, there's a 900 number in which you, you, the fan at home, can call in and choose one of four babyface wrestlers for Pierre to face. Is it going to be the one, two, three kid, Marty Jannetty, Doink the Clown, or Lex Luger. Wait, I, I, actually, you know what? I, Tommy, I did that wrong. Let me do it again. Is he going to face... He's going to face the one, two, three kid. Who's your Quebecer Pierre face? Should he face... Marty Gennady, Tommy the Clown, one, two, three kid. Or should he face Lex Luger? Well, could you say the other options for me, please? Because I, I, I heard the last one loud and clear. <laughs> Vince. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, it's very simple. It's going to finish morning. Or the All-American Lex Luger. Oh, Lex Luger, obviously. They could not have campaigned harder for Luger unless without Vince holding a gun to like a bunny rabbit's head and saying, vote for Luger or we kill the bunny. <laughs> it was very, it was just like, these are the guys, as you said, as you rightly put it there, these are the guys. Oh, I wonder if he'll win via a landslide. And do you know what? Do you know why they're also really clever? And this is why Vince is like eking out every penny. So this phone number, I take it it's not a free call. No, it's not. No, that's why Lex number. Luger's the last person. Ah, uh, so he's like, <laughs> so he got to on the phone one. The, the longest. To vote for one, two, three kid whose real name is actually <laughs> Greek and his name is Aloysius Stanislawskis <laughs> press one 
to vote for Doink the Clown, who many have speculated could be one of the following 600 people. <laughs> Matt Bourne, Steve Kern, Brooklyn Brawler, Barry Darso, Rob Bartlett, John Eiley, so on. <laughs> it's Defo John Eiley! <laughs> I knew it. But yeah. But, but it also tells you, if they had made the poll, Randy Savage, Bret Hart, Undertaker, Lex Luger, you think Luger would win? No chance, Sundance. It's they've they've just gone. Which of these three scrubs that you see every week do you want to see? Or Lex Luger, who's not there all the time? They, 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 if they put some decent people in that mix, no disrespect to Hall of Fame exactly. Paul Waltman, but they had. Right, right. It could have been Iron Mike Sharp, Peter Weeks, PJ Walker, or Lex Luger. But the thing is, like they couldn't do that now because the fix is in now. So they people would see that and just vote for the worst, just just to just to ruin stuff, because we Pierre love doing versus, that now. It's Pierre versus Sanjaya from American Idol. <laughs> we would. We can't do that anymore. We'd ruin it. Yeah. And because it's a nine hundred number, you kind of, I guess, kind of have to be honest about how the poll goes. Hence the. Um, Hardcore campaigning for Luger. Because it's like, you know, well, we want Luger to win, but we want to make money off of this. But, I mean, if. But, I mean, Doink still could win this poll, technically. If, if, if they did have, you know, like, you know, the ironic voters like, oh, let's put Doink in there just to screw with him. But I don't think we were at that point yet where we were doing ironic voting for stuff. <laughs> yeah, we weren't, we weren't as cool as, as a society yet. A Generation X was still. Starting their takeover, grunge music was in. We were just starting to get a bit detached from what was going on, but we weren't quite there yet. No. So we have Borger versus Luger in a match that we didn't vote on, but if we could have, we would have voted for this one. This literally is a main event anywhere in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it's weird that it's kick. Well, it's not weird actually, because this is the this is the theme for a lot of time of Monday Night Raw, where whatever match they deem as the main event, they're sticking on first. They're getting it out of the way. Well, because the first half hour, does, first half hour does a better rating than the second half hour because when people stop watching it as the evening progresses, so it kind of does make sense in that sense. Uh, I think this is the debut. Of the cheap Chiron. Did you notice how bare bones that the lettering look on the screen? Yeah, it looks really cheap. I was, I'm glad you noticed that. I wasn't sure if it was just me being, uh, too, like, re re reading too much into it, but it looked really naff. It, it used to be that faded silvery bar, with, like the black letters over top of it. It looked kind of neat. Now it's just like the the cheapest looking raw logo ever, like compressed in the corner. And just in plain white lettering, the guy's name. What? So, so why would they have changed that? Is this some sort of new technology that they're trying? I could not tell you. I, I have no answer for that. Fair I'm just enough. saying it looks. It, it looks incredibly like ratty, as you said. Naff to use your vernacular. It's not a common word here in the states. Naff, although we should, probably should start using it. Oh, it's a great word. We had the best opening to a match ever. Borger just jumps at him, hits him with an axe handle in midair while he's pulling his jacket off. I wasn't Borger's quite like, sure I... what the move was that Borger did. It was just like the cameras. It was 
akin to Bret Hart's Hall of Fame speech, the camera was just panned on Scott Steiner, and then just this figure just came flying across the screen. And I missed it, because I was watching this on my phone, and then I missed it, so I rewound it, thinking, oh, that was quite interesting. Borger jumped him. But then I saw how Borger jumped him. It was just like he flew into him like a kid wanting a hug from his dad. It's like the Larry Holmes Mitch Blood Green parking lot fight in the early 90s. <laughs> there was no finesse to this. Just just like lobbed himself through himself into Scott Steiner. At least it looked kind of real. <laughs> it wasn't like it was like Scott was, was like prepared to catch him or anything. Borger just threw himself at him and attacked. That's these true. two went on to have, these two went on to have a pretty nice hard hitting match. A lot, a lot of neat athletic stuff here, like Borg's flying clothesline, Scott getting him up for the double underhook bomb. On the pop, Borg, that Scott Steiner got when he lifted him was brilliant, <laughs> and it confirmed my theory that Scott Steiner should have been the Lex Luger at this point. <laughs> Scott can lift anybody. Probably got Yoko up for that move. Oh, could you imagine? Oh my God! Imagine that on the Intrepid. Imagine, imagine Steiner going, "I'm not going to body slab you," and then he double underhooks him, and <laughs> drops it. Oh my God! That'd have been incredible. Can you imagine if Scott Steiner had somehow got him in like a credible-looking Frankensteiner for the win at SummerSlam? Oh. I don't think anything would have. I don't think anything would have ever topped that visual in 26 years since. No, no way. That would be too they good. Would, they would have had to fold wrestling. See, like, now like, I'm no, excited no. for the idea that Steiner and Yoko may mix it up come Survivor Series. I, bl- I believe you'll get your wish. Yes! <laughs> Borger gets the meanest headlock ever during this match. He just snares Steiner's head. And kind of jerks him around a bit and just forces him to the ground. He made a headlock interesting. Yeah, and you know what? It's headlock's kind of seen as a, a throwaway move by a lot of people. But when you can make it look like it's an aggressive part of the match, then then it's brilliant when it works like that. And Borger just made it look intense. I mean, yeah, grab your friend by the head, put him in a headlock, and just tense up your arms and squeeze him tight. It hurts. It's a painful move. It's something bullies do just to keep somebody in line. And yet, as you said, it's just a throwaway move most of the time. Meanwhile, the undercurrent here is that Savage is still... He's still ringing about Crush and, of course, Bobby Heenan for what he said about him over the previous weeks, making fun of his tongue. Vince drops an important note here that Savage cannot leave the commentary table. He has to remain there as part of his duties. So if he gets up, there could be repercussions. And that's that's his boss right there saying, don't get up. And, and Savage still going, I ain't going to promise I'm not going to get up. <laughs> Savage does not care this week, and I love it. You know, I I, I know it's a very very odd parallel here, and, and you're right, he is giving no Fs here. But a year from today, this has become a lot less funny in WWE speak because here's Vince telling Savage he cannot leave the commentary table. Savage wants to get away from the commentary table, but Vince will not allow him to. A year later, Savage signed with the competition. So he could get away from the commentary table, and Art would truly imitate life. <laughs> and, and he did get away from the commentary table. And do you know what? He went over there, and good, because he proved he'd still, he still had a few more miles on the clock. I don't know what was letting Savage be Savage. 
I'm just, I'm so, imagine if they had, imagine if they'd let Savage just be Savage and and wrestle. Like, it could have been a great thing for them to have, but hey, they didn't. But it meant that these interactions with people like Crush meant so much more. Yeah, and as we'll see in 94, Savage Crush, Savage Crush going into Mania 10 was actually a lot better than I remembered it being, especially... We have the March to WrestleMania on the network for WrestleMania 10. I don't want to jump too far ahead here. Savage cut the promo on that show to build that match that, in my opinion, could be his greatest promo ever. Oh, okay. I had long forgotten the promo, but watching I'm like, God damn, this is some good stuff. This is like pure intensity. And Savage just went on like a five-minute monologue about, about Crush backstabbing him and how his day is coming. It's really, really good stuff. And, and you wonder... Why is he sitting at the commentary desk every week instead of doing this kind of stuff? This is what he could be doing. But hey, that's that's Vince's loss. So the Quebecers come out the backup Borga. You know, we're, it's typical Survivor Series uh, era stuff where someone's getting beat up by a guy he's facing at the event, so his partners come out to back him up. Then the face's partners come out to back him up. In this case, Scott has Rick come out and, and back him up. No Luger because he can't be bothered. I know Luger's, Luger's busy waiting by the phone to see if he's going to get that big match against Pierre. No, no, he's stuffing the ballot box himself. He's not sure he's going to win. <laughs> he's getting all his mates to ring that number very quickly. <laughs> I don't know. People love Marty. He's more genuine. <laughs> no! <laughs> what did you think of the finish to this match? Um, well, it was a double DQ finish because... Uh, Borger jerked Rick into the ring by in a headlock, and Rick knocked him down, so the Quebecers jumped in. And it was a schmoz, and the, and the heels got driven. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com in a way. I thought it was fine. I, I didn't really see much problem with it because you don't want to have either guy lose, really. No, but I just thought that it, 
it made Steiner look a bit weak because Steiner had got that roll up and only got a two, and then Borg had hoid him out of the ring, and then it was Rick Steiner getting on the apron, giving out to Borger. It just felt like it was the wrong way around. What I, you know, surely the 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 trope, the the obvious booking would be, oh my God, Steiner's just overpowered L- Ludwig Borger, dropped him on his head. Steiner's gonna beat Borger. Quebecers jump on the apron. Shenanigans well, I, ensue. I think as a single, you need Borger to be stronger a little bit more. Yeah, I figured it might be one of those things where they want to definitely keep Borger's undefeated streak alive, and they definitely want to keep him looking strong. Because when Luger wins the belt, <laughs> you need Borger strong to challenge him later. Of course, man. Man, there were some high hopes the WWF had at this point in 93. <laughs> High hopes for nothing. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a decent match while it lasted. Maybe not what it could have been, given that you, you have two powerful badasses in there. But yeah, it could have it. been a bit more. But I liked the, I liked the, some of the stuff in there was great. Like some of the, all of Scott's power moves were just crisp and 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 intense. I like Scott Steiner at this point. And Borg had a great flying clothesline at one point where he did like a total flip after every impact, a la The Undertaker. Borger looked good in this, actually. Borg, you know what? We, we, and, and we recently, with, well, you recently had a run-in with, um, uh, was it V1 from OSW? Did I? Regarding Ludwig Borger? I'm trying to remember. Didn't you get into oh, yeah. a little bit of shenanigans with somebody on Twitter where they were insulting Ludwig Borger? Uh, oh, yeah, there's that. I responded to somebody, but it wasn't like it was a big brouhaha or anything. It was the really biggest like brouhaha. Honestly, I ain't slept since, mate. It was, it was bigger than the Savage Crush Summit. Much, much bigger. Much bigger. Who kicked off? I'm going to check on Twitter and see who it was. I'm sure it was one of um, the OSW Review Boys. Yeah, because I, I had to correct them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to assume it was Stephen Rowe. Possibly Steve, yeah. I think, yeah. I'm more, more than likely it was Steve. Because yeah, you know, how dare he? How dare they? Who do they think they are? <laughs> the the anti-Ludwig brigade. Shocking behaviour. Absolutely shocking behaviour. Yeah, it's, uh... Can't be dissing Ludwig. The guy was in Parliament before. <laughs> um, Vince made me laugh here. I truly got the impression from this little bit with Vince that he was going to do something and then he gave up when he got it wrong. Okay. Where he said, now we're going to go to the old Grand Ole Opry to see Jeff Jarrett, J-E-F-F, silence, video package starts. Oh, that was Heenan doing the J-E-F-F part. Oh, I thought that was Vince saying J-E-F-F. No, that, I think he was just trying to like, you know, get like another line in before they jumped in the vignette, but he couldn't get it all in in time. <laughs> well, either way, it was funny. Because it was like, you, they, whether it was deliberate or not, just to blow it and then just go, I've run out of time. Can't bother to restart it. Let's go with the tape. So I, I, I'm half paying attention to this because I'm just uh, finishing up some notes for the writing I still had to do today. Uh, Jared pulls up in a Cadillac in front of the Grand Ole Opry. Corrupt country, corrupt country music business. Blah 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 blah. Now he's yelling at the end of it. 
That's all I got out of this. He was, his driver was called Billy Ray Brooks. So Billy Ray Cyrus and Garth Brooks. <laughs> Which I thought was cute. Uh, he compared... Um, he said, "Oh, a lot of people have." He went. He was outside the old, the old Grand Ole Opry, and he said, "People that have played here are now dead." Conway Twitty, he's dead. And then he said another name, and he said, "They're not dead, but their career is." Hey, what's that dead guy the WWF called Billy Ray Brooks? And his and his uh, driver shouts, "The Undertaker!" Yeah, the Undertaker. Hey. I'm going to bury The Undertaker, and then I'm going to be the number one country music guy. So Jeff Jarrett pitched his tent pretty high up the mountain by going, I'm going to be a country music sensation after I beat The Undertaker. Okay, okay man. Okay, okay mate. Right, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on here. Now, if I'm hearing this correctly, what Jeff Jarrett has just said is that if he beats The Undertaker, that's going to cause his country music hopes to soar through the sky. Yes. Storm to the stratosphere. So basically, anyone who's beaten The Undertaker in their career could theoretically be a big country music singer today, like Hulk Hogan or Gold Dust or Mick Foley. Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar. Brock should put on like a. a, a I guess Stetson had it, WrestleMania 30 and walked off. Like, well, my dreams come true. Well, he could put a hat on, or John. Can you please Photoshop the Brock Lesnar country music album? Thank you very much. <laughs> if Brock had just joined the West Texas Rednecks with Kurt Hannon when he had the chance. <laughs> Who knows where his career would have been. Much higher, <laughs> without a doubt. If Brock gets in your face and says, I hate rap, you better agree <laughs> with him. <laughs> yes, Brock, that's true. It's terrible. He got Jeff Jarrett into the ring and he said, hey, no, bring this. See if you get this reference. Jeff Jarrett comes out during a Brock Lesnar promo. Hey, no. Hey, Jeff, come in the ring. Hey, I get it. I get it. I like rap too. Jeff Jarrett gets in the ring. Lesnar sizes up to him. Sensor's ready. I don't give a fuck about rap. <laughs> I don't want to call the reference. <laughs> it was um, Brock Lesnar, Heath Slater. Where he oh, right. jumped out against Brock Lesnar, and Brock was like, "Hey, no, it's I get it. I've got kids. Get in here, Heath." He's like, "It's uh, the ring," right. and he just sizes him up and goes, "I don't give a that's about right, your kids." That's right. <laughs> I don't care about Heath Slater either because he went flying. Brock Lesnar has these just these these moments of pure brilliance that strike out of nowhere. It's actually a lot funnier than people realize. Yeah, he <laughs> truly is. He truly is funny. That was one of his, one of my favorite Brock Lesnar moments. His charisma was kicking John Cena's stupid hat. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually like that. He he F5 Cena and then just kicks his hat. Just kicks his hat away. It's a fun, actually, his other one was last year at SummerSlam. When he when he beat Braun's ass with the money in my briefcase and then threw it at the entrance right and actually hit. <laughs> <laughs> the entertainment value of Brock is off the charts. Exactly, a very underrated. Talking of entertainment value, is it here where the Undertaker? Oh no, it's not here yet. It's a bit later on. We have an Undertaker bit coming up a bit later on. Oh yes. Uh... I have it. I have it in the notes, and I guess I have to say about that. But first, 
Men on a Mission versus Corey Student and Steve Smith. We got a funny bit about these two because I I've got nothing on these two. Uh, they're jobbers. They're just they're just yeah enhancement boys. I gotta say, Steve Smith must be quite tall because he he matched up to Mabel, and if Mabel's about six foot eight or whatever, and Smith's Smith's at least six three or six four, maybe even six five. He, he's he's fairly tall for a a job guy that I know nothing about otherwise. He's got good size to him. Which begs the question of why you'd put him in this match. Why not put a smaller guy to make Mabel seem even more immense? Yeah, because they—I mean—they could have easily swapped out. Maybe he was just tall, too tall for everybody, so they had to put him in with somebody. Because I was going to say swap him out with John Paul, who faces Rick Martel later on, but <laughs> then Rick Martel's <laughs> going to look tiny. That's true. So Mabel just wants to wave his arms around. Smith won't let him. So Mabel gets annoyed. That was kind of funny. Savage comes out with a good line on commentary here. That being? Uh, where he says, on, on the subject of Crush's arrival into the building, he says, expect the unexpected. You know, read between the lines. And, you know, whatever is whatever. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I quite literally don't know what that means. Savage is getting his lunch from the Great Gazoo next to his head. <laughs> and, and without question, then, he's just reciting them. Going, Wait, what? <laughs> he's just saying words sometimes. Bobby Heenan during this match makes reference to the Ted Dance and Whoopi Goldberg incident, which you'll probably never hear about on a wrestling show otherwise. I know. I, know what, I Wikipedia'd this. I totally oh. forgot that Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> and Ted Danson were a thing. So that blew my uh, mind because I'm back watching. I'm watching Cheers at the moment, and Ted Danson is very much front of my mind. Um, but this whole incident at the club—have you seen the photos? I haven't. I haven't seen the photos. I just read the story and painted pictures in my head. I'm now going to Google the photos. Good lord! Oh god! What the hell was he thinking? Oh my god! Okay, this was oh, that's not that's not aged well. That has not aged well. It wasn't good at the time. What are you talking about? Where everybody knows your name. <laughs> I really wish you hadn't came. <laughs> hey, Sammy, that's offensive, there, right? Ah, shut up, Cliff. <laughs> Yeah, I remember the first time I did blackface as well, Normie. <laughs> of course you did, Cliff. You've done everything. Thank God Cheers was off the air at that point. Otherwise, it would have been off the air anyway. Oh, God. We would have been a new bar earner. Well, Whoopi looks like she's having a lovely time. Uh, well, Ted well, Dunn's well, being fun, a massive racist. <laughs> Can you imagine today, like, if Corey Graves tried to bring something... Bring something like that up on the air. <laughs> Good lord! But Bobby, Bobby referenced it, and it blew my mind. During a men on the mission match. <laughs> exactly. Good. I mean, what the hell? So the two jobbers are taking a beating, and Vince recommends that Bobby Heenan give Corey Student his parachute, and I'm like. How would that help him? 
Does he assume he's about to get dropped out of a plane? <laughs> when Mabel throws him out, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Like, like a Bobo in Double Dragon 2. <laughs> There's a funny spot here. After Mabel DDTs, I guess it's Corey's student, which his, his DDT looks awesome. It's a big six foot nine inch Goliath 500 pounder just driving your head right into the ground. So they set up for their finish. And you know, so when Ramo goes to the middle rope, Mabel stands over the guy and they do that, you know, double club sandwich thing where they both land on him. Corey Student's laying on his stomach and he's got to be on his back to take this move. And Mabel actually, actually kicks him in the shoulder, like, dude, turn over. Like, like, you know what? Never mind. And they just do the move and then Mabel rolls him over for the pin. Just splashes him onto his back, doesn't he? Just goes, oh, that'll do. <laughs> Like, not good enough, whatever. We win. <laughs> yeah, and men on a mission that. win. Nice, easy job for them. Just a reminder that they are there. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, it's just a basic match. Although the best part is the dancing fans. The ones that have no rhythm whatsoever. No coordination. Like Oscar. Who, if you oh. watch him actually doing doing the the mic work, is not in time at all with the music. I'm not sure if you've noticed before today, but Oscar is not good at his job. <laughs> no, he's dreadful. He's he's quite terrible. <clears throat> so we come to the Survivor Series report. I have to say that Pet and Gill's event shirt and suit jacket combo looks very nice. Yeah, that's a that's a strong look. Strong look from Pet and Gill. We get a funny line here where he tries to tell us that he tries to put over the fact that the event sold out. But this is his quote, and I'm I am quoting here: "There isn't a seat in the place. <laughs> standing standing only. Yes, it's like a mosh pit." <laughs> There isn't a seat in the place in the heartland of America. I know it's not there this time, but I'm just I'm crossing the streams in terms of not mentioning what truly is going on. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure he knows what's going on. <laughs> we get the we get the team graphic for the All Americans with Luger, Tatanka, and the Steiners, but because Tatanka is injured, uh, he gets Thanos out of the picture almost. <laughs> just evaporated away. That was cute. <laughs> They should put like little wings on them and have like fly away off screen like Poochie. <laughs> I want like a big stamp that comes down over his head that goes, Eliminated. <laughs> Fatality. <laughs> Probably dead. Tatanka died the way back to his home planet. <laughs> I have to go. My planet needs me. <laughs> it's Vince's voice. <laughs> I have to go. My planet needs me. <laughs> So we need a replacement for Tatanka, and we're getting one on Superstars, aren't we? Yeah, I'm hoping it's Corey's student. Oh, do you know what? He's he's on a roll this week. It could very well be. I'm excited. See, he won't job because he plays on his stomach. They had to kill him in order to turn him over and pin him. <laughs> the Shawn Michaels-like attitude is going to get him far in this business. The, so, the other main event we've got <laughs> is Bret Hart and the entire Hart family versus the Jerry Lawler family and, and three shadows and three shadows who we will be told will be revealed at the show yeah. i got that event graphic of lawler's team is actually quite ominous looking almost like a horror movie because yeah. you have like that blood red background and, and just there's three shadowy figures it's almost like they're apparitions 
although the truth is much less impressive. And at this point, Brett cuts a very intense promo. Now, I love Bret Hart, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. The first part of his promo was not bad. You just remember how angry he is, how angry his family is. They're going to tear Jerry Lawler apart. Bruce is going to get in there. Keith's going to get in there. Owen's going to get in there. And then he talks about how everybody's going to be including the cats and the dogs. I put the cats and the dogs down. So the cats and the dogs like alternate tag team partners. Can he tag yes. in his dog? I, I guess Natty's bringing them. I don't know. <laughs> well, the cats anyway. <laughs> What an odd Young. thing to say. Unless you are legit bringing... Like, the one thing you don't do, because I'm very much a dog person. I love dogs. Do not tell me you're going to bring a dog and then not bring a dog. See, now, if I was smarter, I, was, I thought it would have been like foreshadowing that, you know, Davy Boy was coming back or something. He's going to bring the dog. Oh, that would have been great. But a lot of just, it's just Brett speaking overly emotionally about... Everyone's going to be there. We're bringing Stu's old Cadillacs. We're bringing the guys we used to beat up in the dungeon. What's left of them? <laughs> like, you have to bring everything. Yes. So we have clips of Doink, of Doink messing with the head shrinkers. Todd looks thrilled by all this. I quite like this bit. Because uh, we're building to Bam Bam, Bastion Bugger, and the head shrinkers versus four Doinks, which we know is mm -hmm. ominous and will be terrible. But... Yes. I liked the little video they did when the head shrinkers were making their entrance and Doink appears on the screen going, here's my here's my tag team partner, Doink! Split screen with the same guy again going, hey, I'm his tag team partner. See you at Survivor Series. I really liked that. And they're like acknowledging each other, which is kind of, that's kind of funny. I was hoping like, they'd have all bit. four Doinks on the screen, a la the Brady Bunch. And Ann B. Davis says, Alice Doink. <laughs> That would make it. That would make it perfect. The Doinky Bunch. If I didn't know what was coming, I'd be I'd be excited for the four Doink reveal. You know, I did hear a story about... I'm not sure if this was just someone's fan fiction or if this was actually a plan. Someone's got to ask Bruce Pritchard this question. If this had been the plan for the match, this would have been the greatest Survivor Series match ever had they gone through with it. Should I share it here? Yes, please. Okay, the idea was originally that it was going to be Bigelow, the Head Shrinkers, and instead of Bathish and Booger, that Crush would have been the partner on that team since he's had, he's had a long history with Doink and would want to kill Doink. So out comes four Doinks, one of whom is Matt Bourne, one is Steve Kern, one is either the Brawler or Barry Darso. The fourth one with a shaved beard is Savage in disguise. <sighs> wow. And every time Crush is in the match, you know, there's... Like, like, all four doinks act docile and friendly and do their little pranks, but one doink keeps trying to kill Crush. And and through and through, and through his gestures, you know who it is. The finger pointing, the way he moves around the ring. And, and, when, and when Crush pulls away, you know, they, keep, they keep swapping places on the apron, and he can't tell which one it is. So now he's paranoid. Like, oh, boy. Man, that one would of, have been one cool. Of, one of them is Randy. Which one is it? And now he won't tag in because he's scared. Because, you know, here's one of them in the ring. He's, he's, he's wrestling Samu. He's very friendly. Crush goes, oh, that must be one of the other doings. Tags in, tries to murder him right there on the spot. <laughs> I get that. As I said, I don't know if it was just someone's fan fiction, like, like a brilliant idea, or if it was actually was discussed at some point. 
I'm going to lean toward the former, but that would have rolled. That would have been amazing. That would have been the greatest thing in in the history of wrestling. I would so have loved cerebral. that match. And, and, and so crossing the sort of streams of face and heel, shades of grey and all that. I love that. I love that. He's like, you want to see an evil clown? Here's your evil clown. But, but it would have been having to shave Savage's beard. Yeah, but he, he could have vanished for a bit as, as part of a suspension or whatever. And and just growing it back in, in that time, you know, because because on this show, he's facing disappointing reaction as we'll soon see. Oh, that's true. That's very true. But this could have worked if they did it this way. God damn it all. <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter because um, what we're going to get, I'm sure, is going to be fine. <laughs> Oh. oh, it'll be, it'll be just as good. It's like oh. getting waterboarded on your birthday. Oh God, oh God. Oh, but hey, we get a bonus match here. It's the Rock and Roll Express versus the Heavenly Bodies for the Smoky Mountain Tag Belts yeah. in Boston. Yeah, a random other company's tag championship being defended. <laughs> Spoiler alert: it was a pretty good match. I'll say that much at least. I've heard people say it was actually one of the better matches of that night. It was. Although, to be fair, considering what it was up against, it wasn't much competition. No. So, we learned in the arena that Luger's winning the poll, which to me is a, it's a bit of an amateur mistake from their part. Because it's like, you know, if you want Luger to win, wouldn't you tell people that he's behind? So they all call in en masse and vote for him? Yeah, it may be. But then, is that not... Really, obviously, choreographing the fact that they want Luger to win. If it's going, please call up and vote for Luger. Well, they've already choreographed it by, by putting him in a poll with Doink, Marshall, and and the one, two, three. Yeah, and, and there's that as well. If you're if you're going to have him behind and like have to come back from underneath, what does that say for your top face? That he is losing in a poll to Doink, the one, two, three kid, and Marty Janetti. <laughs> Well, that's true also, but... Okay, what they should have done was have all four of them in that promo booth standing there side by side, have them campaign for the vote. Have Marty, Kid, and Doink all say, I think kids should go to school in the summertime. And Luger say, I think they should have the summer off to, to play and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he's like, we all hate ice cream. I like ice cream. Vote Lex Luger. <laughs> So then we come to the highlight of the show. <laughs> You've seen it in your notes. You're salivating. I love this so much. We have The Undertaker holding a shovel, standing over a mid-carter hit the glass ceiling. I mean, I mean an open <laughs> grave. <laughs> if you drink and drive, you're going to meet The Undertaker as he shovels dirt. A message from Morrison Version and The Undertaker. Do not drink and drive. <laughs> now, my takeaway from this, if I'm a kid and I'm a big Undertaker fan and I want to meet him, I was just giving a very mixed message here. Yes! That's that's exactly what I put. Like, if I'm an Undertaker fan, I'm getting hammered and driving because I've heard I can win a competition to see him. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what John Cena should have done last year for WrestleMania when he won the face taker. How about get his attention? I know. Let me just get blitzed and go. 
and do 90 down the highway with my hand over one eye. You have Cena walking backstage. He walks past the TV and Cena's walking around going, oh, I just don't know how to get The Undertaker to have a match with me. Sees that PSA. You see him going, hmm, thinking. Next shot you see is Cena stumbling out of a bar, getting into his car, a la Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> on Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Poor Tigger logs into the TMZ the next morning and sees the story. <laughs> well, better go meet him. <laughs> Seen the plow in the schoolyard killed several kids. <laughs> well, off I go. <laughs> when a meet and greet with the Undertaker, all you got to do is drink far too much alcohol and then get behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> he tells the cops, here's, here's something I rock. I can't see you. <laughs> As much as I love this, this is only my second ever, my second favorite ever um, drink and drive PSA. What what could number one be? Number one was a a radio drink drive PSA by Kenny Everett, who was uh, a very wacky, quite controversial radio presenter from from way back in the day and he was given this uh, public service announcement to read over christmas about like how you shouldn't drink and drive and he took one look at it and um he threw it away and he went off on this spiel he said this is what i want you to do this christmas i want you to get drunk i want you to get slaughtered sloshed absolutely battered hammered i want you to get paralytic i want you to get so drunk that you can't find the keys to your car. Don't drink and drive. <laughs> and that was and that on the is. BBC. And it was just, and everyone was like, you can't say that. I was like, I just did. <laughs> because I want to be The Undertaker. And if you're <laughs> to do so, then I have a better chance. And I understand that Kenny Everett met The Undertaker shortly after. God, did you meet so many smashed cars in the parking lot at StarCast, too? <laughs> you don't have derby. to do that anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, oh, boy. <laughs> Guess that PSA's been on again. <laughs> but seriously, don't drink and drive out there, kids. It's not funny. No, because you will meet The Undertaker. And if you didn't get not StarCast in- tickets, that's a great thing. So go, go for it. <laughs> Rick Martel versus John Paul. George and Ringo. <laughs> John Paul, if you've never seen him, is a dead ringer for Bill S. Preston. Nice. Nice reference. I hadn't spotted that until you said it. It looks like he just walked out of the phone, out of that phone booth with uh, Bill or Theodore Logan. And uh, what was his name Rufus? Oh, yeah, George Carlin was Rufus. And they're making another one of those Bill and Ted movies. Yeah, I know. I don't think they need to. I keep seeing a lot of sequels and revivals this year, and then you see the actors turn up on screen looking old, and you just go, don't do it. Don't need to. Just have a sleep. Because we're very fe- because we're a very fearful generation that clings to our toys from the past. We are, aren't we? We're terrible. They're, they're like, make new things. Mind you, anyway, back to watching Raw from 1993. Yes. <laughs> Good point. I was, I was like, we want to live in the past. Okay, here's Hunter and Batista. All right, forward, forward, always forward. And Batista's still trying to catch his breath from that match. 
<laughs> it, it is during this match that Vince implies that Savage could be the replacement All-American, to which Savage <laughs> starts reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, hoping that somebody stops him at some point, but nobody does for the longest time. <laughs> that was that was that was hilarious. I think I think Bobby Heenan just let him just just left him hanging out to dry. Because Bobby Heenan could sometimes just be uh, an absolute, uh, 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 an idiot like that in the best way. Where you, just go, you, just, you just do that. <laughs> I got to say for this match, John Paul was given a lot of offense. He looked good, didn't he? He was he was getting a fair a fair bit of the wedge in this match. Lovely crossbody off the rope that he missed, but lovely. A great step-up headlock takeover, a la like the Dudley Dog or the Acid Drop. Or spread number two almost. And we're, like building to, um, we're building to Rick Martel and Razor Ramon too, aren't we? If I read that correctly. I think that matches on Superstars. Or one of the weekend shows, actually. Right. Okay. I, I, I don't think it pops up on Raw. I, yeah, no, it's not. It's a, not a Raw show, I don't believe. But, uh, yeah, John Paul was... I mean, Martel, at, at this point, you know, he's late in his career. He's got nothing more to really... Prove he's not going to hold some guy down. I don't think he's kind of let Paul have his way for a bit. He misses the springboard crossbody and finishes. And after the match, for all time's sake, he sprays him with the arrogance, like it's 1990 all over. Oh, I loved him. it. Hey, apparently Bobby Heenan uh, sprayed some of that arrogance on himself, and he had 12 flight attendants that couldn't take their hands off him. Yeah, we got a very awkward exchange about arrogance and parachutes here. It was beautiful. It was what it was. Ah, live TV. Oh, this is where Vince was like, and coming up next, it's going to be Crush. And then, like, there was a long hold on the camera, which you notice. I always notice when you could tell that something hasn't quite clicked on a live show. And it was just a little bit too long. Held on Vince. And he was just sort of looking off into the distance, trying to maintain his composure. Then they cut to the crowd. And after about five seconds of the crowd, you just hear the raw music kick in. Like someone's just remembered, oh, we're going to go to a break. <laughs> yeah, it's live TV. That's, that's the hazards, is it not? It certainly is, sir. Especially, that's why we love it. Especially back then when they didn't really have the whole live thing down to a, a science just yet. So we come back from break. Savage is up around ringside, and so is Vince. Oh, because, yeah. Because you know, like, coming he's... out next. Because Vince is sort of standing between Savage and the the entrance ramp. Savage, Savage is a caged animal at this point, fixing the pounds. Vince actually grabs him in a waist lock, which which which, which I realized you know years of watching Vince wrestle it kind of uh, takes some of the the starch out of this moment. But back in 1993, Vince grabbing a wrestler like that was something special. Yeah, it did feel like it. It didn't happen very often, did it? No, and when and when Crush uh, is finally visible in the aisleway, Savage throws Vince to the ground and just beelines right toward Crush. I mean, Vince, Vince took a bump here. Oh, he takes a heck of a stumble here. Just properly hits the ground. He does the tuck and roll. So Savage, Savage and Crush are now beating the crap out of one another. You know, all all of Vince's horses and all of Vince's men running the you know to break this whole thing up. Pat Patterson is wearing a hard rock London leather jacket. 
<laughs> that is a look. Good look, Pat. Good look. Pat in his sartorial styling. Bobby Heenan is uh, Bobby Heenan's brilliant at this point. Like he's it's subtle brilliance as Savage and Crush are just getting into it. Heenan's going, Savage, oh, I can't believe he did that. He's what a terrible person he is. Vince, are you okay? I, I would have come to help you, but I, I had to do my job. He was just just being a creep. <laughs> he was just so he was just so good. He wasn't over the top and obvious, but he was just being like that. He was being the the, the naughty kid that suddenly found himself as potential teacher's pet. <laughs> He's taking over the broadcast, and of course he's doing the Bobby stuff, the stuff you expect Bobby to do on commentary when he's flying solo. <sighs> Tommy, I'm about to depress you here. Go on, then. We have three rolls left with Heenan. Oh, jeez. Just three. Yep. We have that. We have Survivor Series Showdown. We have Survivor Series itself. And then off Bobby goes. Oh, man. At, at least, well, the thing is, the, the way he goes... Is 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 a it's a fun show where he goes. It's a very Bobby Heenan way to go, and uh, I'm yeah. quite excited for us to kind of talk and lament on the the times of Bobby Heenan and the WWF when we get to it. We counted down Rob Bartlett's exit like we were prisoners, marking off tally marks on the wall with a pen. But this feels like we're counting down the days of our holiday left. Like this counting down the days of our vacation mm-hmm. at Disney with sad like oh two yep. more days. Yeah, we're sh- I think we're stranded and we're checking our rations. There's only like one pint of water left. Yeah, well, it's the exact opposite. But hey, look, we'll, we'll have, when we get to that last episode, we'll bring memories of Bobby Heenan, because I'll have a lot to say about Bobby Heenan when we get there. I do have a question here. Um, going through this taping here, the man the crush is supposed to face was Dan Dubiel. Obviously, that match didn't happen because Savage jumped him, and it's an angle, not a match. Dan Dubiel did not wrestle on these tapings otherwise. Was he paid for this show? Did he not even wrestle like any of the other taping matches? Um, I'm checking the dark matches. He did not wrestle there. I'm checking the, I'm checking next week's show. He didn't wrestle there. Actually, I found something even cooler than Dan Dubiel. The hell with Dan Dubiel. In a dark match at this very taping, Razor Ramon defeated Pat Tanaka. Wow! Actual Pat Tanaka. Was he in a mask? No, that was Kato. Oh, (laughs) who was (laughs) Pat Tanaka in a mask? Hi, New Generation Project. How are you doing? (laughs) Pat Tanaka in a mask. That should be his his four-ring name. Here is Pat Tanaka in a mask. Like CM Punk in a mask. New Generation Project forever talk about Pat Tanaka in a mask as a gimmick. So... As a, as, a, as a nod to their meme, I tip the hat to another one of my favorite wrestling podcasts. Hi, New Generation Project. How are you doing? Hope you're listening. I mean, they're probably not, but it's nice. <laughs> nice, yes. to, nice to give them some love anyway. I'm, I'm going to pretend that they're listening. In fact, I'm going to tweet them and say that we mentioned them this week. Just to make sure they listen. Yeah, definitely. We won't tell you what part of the show it was, but you to listen to the whole thing like people who are clinging to vote for Luger. Make sure you get the, the option four. <laughs> <laughs> to vote for Marty Janetti, who in 1993 alone wrestled in the following cities. <laughs> Sacramento. 
Marina Del Rey, California. <laughs> no, I think the joke would be, it would be really, like for the hotline, it would be a really long description of doink, a really long description of one, two, three, kid. For Marty, press three. And for Lex Luger, <laughs> press four. He is very much the and Meg of this lineup. <laughs> Plus one other match. <laughs> and, and speaking of plus one other match, we have what is nominally a match, a main event here. Bob Backlund versus Barry Horowitz. Now, I was so pumped for Backlund Horowitz. This was going to be the WrestleMania 17 of 1993. <laughs> I was ready for this. This I was genuinely excited for the... For, for two legends, both alike in dignity, to go one-on-one on Monday Night Raw in the 90s. Now, I have some questions here about this about this goddamn match. Well, first thing i got to point out, this was the entry screen image. Bob Backlund in a defensive pose on one side of the ring, preparing to engage in lock horns of Barry Horowitz. So he was ready to go. In the pre- so in the preview for this episode, you're thinking... Well, goddamn, this must be a Bob Backlund centric episode then. This must be all about Bob Backlund, former two time WWF champion, Hall of Famer in 2013 class, a certified legend. And then you watch this show, and Bob Backlund could not have been more peripheral had he been painted into the scenery. I think what we've learned about the WWE Network is when it comes to the old shows, they must have let a work experience just do the thumbnails for some of them just to give them something to do because there's it, there's so much of it that's wrong. I watched the wrong yeah. episode once because of the thumbnail. I watched the wrong episode every week. <laughs> well, most weeks. Last few weeks, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, and the other thing is, imagine being Bob Backlund. You held this belt for six years. You were, you were the king of this company. You turned back the likes of Greg Valentine and Stan Hansen and Jesse Ventura and Pat Patterson and every heel they threw your way in that era. Superstar Billy Graham. You are now in-ring fodder for a storyline that's taking place backstage. You were there to make sure there's something happening. You were the wrestling equivalent of, of doing something with your hands almost. You're just window dressing. Remember a couple years ago, I think it was Great Balls of Fire, when it was Braun versus <clears throat> Braun versus Roman Reigns. Yes. The ambulance. Yeah, so yeah, I remember. That Kurt Hawkins and Heath Slater out there. Bob Backlund and Barry Horowitz are now Kurt Hawkins and Heath Slater. <laughs> which, make, which makes sense because because one's a jobber and the other has red hair. <laughs> that works quite nicely. Mm-hmm. So we have Crush Strowman and Macho and Macho Reigns here, trying to murder one another backstage. <laughs> well, by this point, oh. so so a few minutes into the match, Savage is done murdering, and they've locked Crush in a locker room. I'm not finished with you, bro. <laughs> I'm not finished with you, brother. <laughs> Make Macho look strong at the commentary table. So yes, Crush is locked in the locker room, says Vince. Vince actually apologizes for not calling the match. <laughs> That's the most ironic line in the history of Monday Night Raw. 
Vince is too busy getting Randy Savage's papers together with his P45 because he's broken his contract by getting involved in the wrestling. Yes, how dare that independent contractor not do what was asked of him? Hey, oh, hi, John Oliver. How you doing? <laughs> I'm just apologizing for not calling them. When do they ever call the match now? We're telling stories, pal. We apologize for telling the story that's more important than this guy in his 40s who hasn't been over in 10 years and this guy who hasn't won a match in six years. And we apologize for covering the interesting part of the show. <laughs> now, back on the Harwich, for their part, are having a having like an actual wrestling match that's doing like holds and exchanges. It could have been fun to watch, but that's not that ain't the story here. I know. And it makes me really sad because I wanted, I was ready for Backland and Horowitz. Now, my next question is how long had it been since they'd done maintenance on this building? Cause the door that crush busts out of and the, and the, the hallway that he's in, Looks like the cheapest, most abandoned, like office building in the history of time. It looks like no one's been has inhabited since like 1954. It is. It is a. It looks very old. That whole building. It almost looks a bit like a chalet. <laughs> Doesn't look like the backstage of a venue. <laughs> it ain't Madison Square Garden to put it mildly. Oh, oh no, we are. Several thousand metaphorical and emotional miles from Madison Square Garden. It looks like three people have been killed there in the last year. <laughs> looks horrible. Satanic rituals where three teenagers were found dead. <laughs> it's dilapidated and it ain't Matt Hardy's boat. So Crush chokes out Dave Hebner preemptively for, before Montreal. No one, no him and his help due to Brett. Savage, <laughs> Savage jumps him. What? Well, I was going to say, because I forgot to mention that as Savage runs past the ring, he does push Barry Horowitz slightly. Does that mean that, and I'm, I'm, I'm being a stickler, and we're getting the result for this match, whether Vince wants us to or not. Does that mean that Horowitz wins by DQ? That sounds good to me. Yes, do that. Horowitz beat Backlund by DQ. I'm fine with that. Well done, Horowitz. So that was Horowitz's real first win, not beating Skip in 95, but this right here. This was the first win. But otherwise, there's no official finish. Savage is running backstage, and, and Maul's crushed again, and the fight continues, and they, eventually it spills outside into the cold November night. And, uh, yeah, that was your main event, technically. When we come back from the break, do the, is that where Vince says that we've locked them out of the building? <laughs> because that's that's how you deal with your problems. You just if two of your wrestlers are fighting and uh, they fight out of the building, just shut the door. I think when Chevy Chase opened the door in Christmas Vacation, let the dog out and started mauling uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus, close <laughs> gone. Doesn't matter now. So we come back from break at the very end. We find out Luger won the vote. Surprise, surprise! What a shock! I was ready for Janetti versus Pierre. Somewhere Ellis Emba was watching TV with, with, with a horrified expression on his face. I voted for <laughs> Doink. This startled me. We go outside, stabbing across our fight next to a tree. And that's our show. <laughs> <laughs> Just a lovely scene. It looks like something out of Cops at the very end. 
with Savage and Savage and Crush just trying to kill each other outside. Onye was just so, like, oh, I guess you believe in someone hanging out of a trailer door. Lock his ass up. <laughs> bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? Gonna do what you gonna do when they come for you? That was a great song. Ah, oh. what? Well, do you know what? I quite enjoyed Raw this week. It was chaotic. It was fun, and I guess they made the most of the of their circumstances that they had. Although there were a few corny parts, but at least they were entertaining. The two best things they've got going on at the moment are the Foreign Fanatics versus the All Americans and Savage and Crush, and they're developing those really well. For the most part, and we also have Bret Hart bringing his animals to the Survivor Series. <laughs> That's it. Can't now we know out. Bret Hart is tagging with his cats and dogs. But we, as we will learn next week, one of his opponents must bow out of the match. Oh that, no! You ever have to uh, address that elephant in the room? We'll do so as tastefully as possible because in the end, uh, the reason why the person had to bow out was BS. As it turns out. Well, it is a pretty uncomfortable story for what we have to talk about. Uh, and we'll deal with it as best as we possibly can. So do we have Monday Night Raw next week? Uh, yes, our forthcoming schedule will go as follows. Next week, it is the November 15th episode of Raw, the day before my 10th birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. It's, it's not for a while yet. You look uh, good for after... 10. Oh, thank you. I, I thought you I were I a swear. bit older, but that's very rude of me. I'm told I swear too much. Is that true? Nah. Because I haven't been to school in 17 years. <laughs> um, after that, we have the Survivor Series Showdown, which is on the network, and I think we're obligated to cover that show. And for that one, instead of doing the instead of doing the uh, review, a look back at it, we're going to have John Eiley on with us to do a live watch-along of a 90-minute show. Should be a lot of fun. Yes, our favorite boy is back on the show, and we're doing a watch along. It is basically Cultaholic Classic Raw Review Utopia. Yeah. Any show with John Eiley on is automatically improved tenfold. Big love, John Eiley. And then after that, it is Survivor Series 1993, and that will also be a live watch along that we will record with our good friend Sidney Zumowitz of the Cultaholic Discord. She does a great job looking after the Discord. I recently had to research once again what a Discord was because I'm very old. And so I'm now, I now know what it is. I'm now back down with the kids. And in return, Sydney can go all the way back to 1993 where in, back then the word Discord meant a falling out with other people. <laughs> Which after summer saying, I'm amazed we didn't have with her. <laughs> That's very true. God bless her. Thank you, Sid. Because that was a good show. This show is much worse. I'm slightly nervous about calling Survivor Series. Yeah, it's... Uh, hey, we'll make the most of it. We'll do fine. Until then, until next week, he is at JRH Rising. I am at Tom Campbell. Together we are both at Cultaholic. Do join us. Oh my God, I'm going to go get battered. Drive a car into a lake because then I'm going to get the Undertaker to sign my T-shirt. <laughs> Love you, bye. <laughs> Welcome to Starcast. <laughs> 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 